So this bolt of lightning shot across the universe and inspired me with the idea that we have to do a podcast. And that's what I wanted to tell you. We should do a podcast. Okay, bye. Welcome it's too to, late now. <laughs> what are, what do we do? Um, uh, don't don't quit fe- your day job. Don't quit your day job. <laughs> well, only one of us has a day job. Yeah. I've completely checked out of society at this point. Well, I um, found out I didn't get fired today, so that was good. Hey, that's cool. That's what that's I tell neat. myself every day. I go to work and no one fires me. I mean... <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Yeah, I. Yeah, um, I mean, it's technically true. Yeah. Um, but if you did get fired, you could get unemployment, which would be sweet. Uh, yeah. Um. Well, on that note, welcome to Feature Creep: Colon Built-in Microwave Semicolon. Uh, bookstores, book selling books, for the love of books. For the love of books. Um, oh, for the love of books. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. So, welcome to our podcast. Um. Please email us. I'm going to put that right at the front so we can get people to uh, send us an email to complain about how long our podcasts are or how much rambly the podcasts are. Although I feel like that's a little bit on you if you read the tagline and thought, nah, they really can't be that rambly. Um, Right. Yeah. But anyway, uh, email. So uh, Dana, our CEO, uh, Mm -hmm. you can email her, D-A-N-A at fcbm.io. You can go to the website, fcbm.io, where you can find our email addresses and and pester us directly. Um, We do not really collect email addresses. I mean, technically, if you send us your email, we will have your email address to write back, but we don't put you on mailing lists. We don't do any kind of weird marketing things or like um, stuff like that. Kind of it's up to you to keep track of this podcast and listen to it if you want to or not. Um, Yeah. Uh, but no, we, we would like to hear from you and we do hear from people from time to time and it's really cool, um, when they like get excited about something they want to share and yeah. we'd love to hear about it. Um, so <laughs> bookstores, mm-hmm. um, or not working or working. I, no, we're not talking about that. That's just a silly joke thing about the nature of, uh, commercialism and what, what kind of economy do it? Capitalism. Um, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So anyway, um, let's. Where do we begin? The, well, yes, the, there are. I thought that Amazon had basically wiped out independent bookstores in the United States. Yes, but there's still like two thousand five hundred of them. Well, no, no, two thousand, roughly two thousand of them. Let's see here. There's two thousand five hundred locations. And there are 2,023 independent booksellers in the United States. So that tells me that like some of those independent booksellers have multiple locations. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> Even though they're still independent. Um, That's pretty great news. In the great bookstore war. I know, right? And the number's climbing. Since 2009, like there were 1,400 in 2009. And now there are 2,023 in 2022, according to this oh. website, which is statista.com. I don't know where they get their... <clears throat> where they get their statistics, but if you pay them, they will show you all of their sources. And I am not going to pay them for that. I'm just going to assume they're right. Yeah. Um, you know what? I just, this makes me think 
of doing that might be really fun sometime as a podcast or as an as an activity for you and I because we don't usually have enough stuff to do with our free time. Right. Um, what I thought we might consider doing is we could maybe do a bit of a bookstore tour. Ooh. Like I've I've you yes. know just kind of go see some bookstores and then do a podcast about it. Yeah. I yeah. love that idea. All right. Well, here's a thought if you're still listening and you're emailing <laughs> us, email us whether you think that's a good idea or if you have particular bookstores um, you want to hear about right. or you'd like us to visit or you visited and you want to do a podcast about it. Email us. We'd be happy to stick you on the platform. Again, we're not monetized, so it's your material. Um, yeah. We'll facilitate you doing that or you can join us and have fun. Um, if it ever comes to money, we'll you know try to do fair by everybody. So um, right. anyway, uh, where was if I? You came, if anybody came here to go on a tour of bookstores, I would take them to a bookstore in Uptown and I would take them to a bookstore in the Midway. I would take them to Majors and Quinn in Uptown and I would take them to the Midway bookstore, which yeah. has like antiques and rare, hard to find books and somehow has managed to survive like all of the surrounding development in the neighborhood that it's situated in and has not ever closed. And I'm like, how many rare books do you actually sell? Like, how do you stay open? Right. I don't know. I don't but know. But it totally looks like the kind of place where like if you went into the basement, you'd reenact the first scene from Ghostbusters. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's so awesome. It's pretty great. Yeah. So do you remember what the good like the when be okay, prior to Amazon, but after independent booksellers, Barnes and Noble and Borders were just like crushing everything. Yes. Were you a fan of Barnes and Noble or a fan of Borders, or did you not? No. Uh, commit to either of them. I was not committed to either of them. Um, there was I I, I, there was a, um, there were actually quite a few used bookstores here in San Diego that I really enjoyed going to. When I lived in Oregon, um, when I was in school in, so this was probably the era, like 2002 to 2004. Mm -hmm. um, I would like kind of basically get a ride up to um portland and go to um powell's books which yeah! is a really cool bookstore oh my god powell's city of books yep um so that was kind of like if if you were to ask me like what kind of book like what bookstores i was a fan of that was one of them um i love powell's yeah i um i used to work in a bookstore when i was in like kind of right out of high school and after homelessness and before college um mm -hmm. i uh i worked in a bookstore downtown in san diego called upstart crow um basically i served coffee because that they were a coffee shop and a bookstore it was it was definitely a touristy bookstore right like i mean they mm -hmm. had it was interesting because we had books that were like you know like many books at the time like bookstores usually can order from book catalogs like from publishing catalogs and so we had books and we could make order order books and you pay the price You'd pay anywhere mm -hmm. for like full price for a book. Um, and But usually the ones we carried were kind of more um, like tourist oriented. Sure. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. I love like I really love going to bookstores and just um, like wandering through them oh, and looking so for titles that might jump out at me or yeah. like weird cover art or like <clears throat> rabbit hole some subject. Mm hmm. 
and go and like walk out with a stack of 10 books on the same thing. Do you know what I miss about card catalogs? Um, what? I love card speaking catalogs. Speaking of like libraries and, and things, because I was, I, what I miss is that um, the anticipation of, or the, I think it's anticipation. Like, I think that's the right emotion. This feeling that I would have when, I had an idea about a topic I was going to research and look for like an answer, like look for books on this topic, um, whatever it was, huh. or I was going to like learn about something. And so yeah. I miss going and looking in card catalogs to see if uh, like either a book existed or I could look up, like you could flip through them and find like the books in a particular section that you might be interested in. And mm -hmm. I miss that sort of like that delayed like feedback response where it was like, this is as fast as you can go. Like, no matter how excited I am about this topic, <laughs> like I'm going as fast as I can to get these numbers and put them down on this piece of paper. And then I have to go physically walk into the library and go find right. these things. And then it's search. like, yeah. And so that whole time there's this like sort of like anticipation of the unknown, right? It's like, I'm going to, mm -hmm. I'm closer. I'm getting closer. I'm getting closer. Like this information is closer. Like, I don't know what these books look like yet. I have never seen them. And so then there's like that whole period from like the start of the idea through the whole process of going to this public library, digging through the card catalog, walking through the stacks until you find the particular book you're looking for, pulling out yes. maybe a couple of them. If you're like really into it, like maybe you grabbed a cart and putting them on your cart and then wheeling them over to some table and sitting down and like opening and flipping through all of them to like find the various pieces of information that you've been looking for that are just yes. in these books here. And that I miss that kind of slow, like because all the feelings that happen, right? Like it's building yeah. up this tension. Then there's these moments of release when you found like something or you've been disappointed. It's like, no, that information's not as good as I hoped. Um, I don't know. It's just right. something that yes. like. I'm totally with you on this. Like there, I was talking to some friends of mine who I went to school with Yeah. in my undergraduate college. And um, we were talking about like how we had made the mistake of following into the trap of buying Kindle versions of things because they're so much cheaper than the book. Yep. And then realizing how disappointing the experience of reading something in Kindle is. Yep. Because it lacks all of these dimensional qualities of reading a book. Like, for example, there's like the tactile reality of a book. Mm -hmm. There's like, you have to physically move through a book and you can like chart your progress. You can see it happening if you bookmark it and stuff. Like you have to actually like engage physically with the book as like a, a like this object. Mm -hmm. Whereas like if you're reading on a Kindle, the like the digital object is is the object. You don't like there's no progress through it. You don't see like you don't engage with different pieces of it. Right. You just have this like thing. And then I like to, um, I mark up all of my books. Like I write in the margins. I make notes to myself. I like fold pages, whatever. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of people are like, about that stuff. And I'm like, shut up. So, <laughs> That's like, me. I mean, I, as an adult, I fully respect and kind of see the value in doing that. Nor do I have that, like that. It doesn't bother me, but I still uh -huh. personally struggle to do that. Really? Yeah. Even with like pencil? Yep. Oh, wow. Yeah. I just, I can't not do it. Like I can't. I think it's awesome. I th so, I love finding somebody's book who's like, that's like, this is my copy of this text 
and everything about me is like invested in here and i have like not me but like i see this in someone else right like they've put page markers and dog ears and like notes in the margins and like it's like clearly this person just like loved pouring through this information (laughs) and i think that's awesome right yeah yeah, that's I totally do that to books. They're very like lived in. Yeah, and so the 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 experience that I had and that these other people that I was talking to had of the Kindles were that it was almost like impossible for us to actually internalize what we were reading because yeah. so much of the of the learning experience and the like knowledge acquisition experience has to do with that like tactile and multi dimensional like the time dimension mm-hmm. and like. Um, the just the 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 four dimensional qualities of book reading. Yeah, like I I agree with this. I I've had I think I've had three versions of an e reader, and I've always wanted to use it, and yeah. I've tried, and I've loaded loaded them with books, and I've taken them on vacation with me, and I've tried to like, and I've gotten into books in them and read through some of books. I think I've finished maybe like one or two novels on a on an e-reader in my entire life of so that's not even like one for one right like i've you Mm -hmm. know i've had three e-readers and i've only finished two novels or something like that like um (laughs) because for me like it's the same kind of thing like when i read a book um i oftentimes like oftentimes the kinds of texts that i'm reading require um flipping forward and backwards to footnotes and end notes or kind of or just even like Sometimes it's like I just have a bookmark on my favorite page. And and I know you can do this on an e-reader, but this is not the same as like having my finger in like one on one page and five pages stacked on top of that finger while I'm holding it and then flipping back like quickly or just feeling the page build up or feeling like where am I in the book? Like I can inherently know that I'm getting close to the end. Right. Like a book is a fucking liminal space. Yes, exactly. And the e-reader just, it doesn't capture any of that. No. It becomes this sort of like endless stream of text, which is not um, compartmentalized in a way that works for me. Yeah, me either, because it's so undifferentiated. Yes, right. I can remember very specific details about a book and what I've read in it based on the physical tactile experience of interacting with it, where Mm -hmm. I was in the book, how heavy it was when I was holding it, what was going on around me at the time. And all these things like contribute to my understanding of the book and the information in it. And with the Kindles or the e-readers, I just cannot get a grip on any of that shit. Like it just whizzes past me. I find more often than not when I'm reading on an e-reader, I will go pages and then realize I have been thinking about something completely not what I'm reading right. and I have right. to go back to the last thing I read. I don't do that with books. Yeah. And I, I don't know why. I think something about like physically moving your eyes down a page and like holding the book and tilting it when you switch to the, op- the opposing page and like looking at the bottom and looking yep. at the top. Like there's something about the interactivity of a book that you just don't get with the Kindle reader or the e-reader and it, and it makes, it's just, it make it impoverishes the experience. Yeah. Um, I, to me, like one of the things that, that sticks in my mind is the typesetting, the overall each page's layout. So, mm-hmm. so like, you know, the left justification, the right justification, like how the ragged edges or whether it's like fully yeah. justified um, the spacing of the word, like everything that's going on there, like each page becomes this imprint of 
its like own thumbprint, right? Mm-hmm. And you lose that on an e-reader because, and and you know, these give advantages. I'm sure for lots of people, this appreciate this. Like you know, you can change fonts and text size and stuffing, and really sure. enable people to access the text better. Yeah, I don't want to for accessibility. Yeah, like I definitely don't want to diminish that. Like I just personally struggle to use them because there's these uh, this like other very like as you said mm-hmm. like um this it impoverishes a lot of the experience that um at least the sensory I, experience the sensory that, experience yeah. yeah that for me exactly. seems really essential to like the experience right in a, in in a whole in as a whole i wonder if um i you know just thinking of, like off the cuff here i wonder if um if we, it, like as advice or something that would be an interesting experiment uh would be if you're publishing ebooks to include a lot more um non non-textual imagery just even if it's just sort of like mm. um I, i'm imagining like illuminated texts being a perfect example right uh-huh. where it's like you know the the chapter start page like the first letter of the sentence is like fills half the page and is this like flourishy beautiful right. thing like something like just that to where break it up just something to break it up and make it feel more like this is where you are and this this is changing like i could imagine something as simple as um like a horizontal rule that is um every time it's inserted as like a page break or a section break it it's a little different. Like maybe there's some characters like stick figures literally walking across it or whatever. And as you come across like each horizontal rule, it's a little bit different than the last one. Something to give people that sense of like, you know, change. And also yeah. like, this is a particular territory that you are in the text. I, I, I'm not saying that's like the solution. I'm just curious if that is something that people yeah. feel. I also about. noticed like on, on, digital versions of things citation becomes a real bitch I think because so there's too. no fucking yeah. page numbers right yeah yeah um i mean it's uh you know this is where it's like what you need is like if we're gonna move to this sort of fluid dynamic like this fluid environment of like continuous text yeah. But there needs to be something new. It needs to have line numbers and go back to like right. line and section yeah, numbers because and things for even. That's, yeah. that's the downside. I mean, unless you have something that converts, because I remember trying to um, use a digital version of something that I was um, working on in research, and I could not, for the life of me, figure out how to cite it because depending on how you viewed it, right, it changed the the location of the text yeah, in the yeah. book essentially and it was right, like wow right. well, that is unfucking helpful yes um yeah <laughs> i mean maybe that, that was a while ago so maybe it's better now it, maybe yeah. solve that fucking problem yeah but yeah that always i found baffling um yeah like uh so anyway uh books and kindle things and also bookstores and libraries when you walk into a bookstore or library does the smell of the books make you have to poop? This is apparently like a really common thing. Hmm. Um, not significantly, but I can absolutely see the connection. I like my father read a lot in the bathroom. <laughs> um, or I often, I shouldn't say I read a lot in the bathroom. What I should say is when I'm reading a novel, um, mm-hmm. I'm for sure reading it in the bathroom when I'm going to the bathroom. Right. So the like the print and the smell of the book is like right there while I'm taking a shit. (laughs) 
<laughs> there's like a huge number of people. I wonder if there's any statistics for this on the internet. Dubious internet statistics about how many yeah. people have to poop when they walk into a poop right. store. <laughs> I'm gonna so, put like so our our utopian bookstore has um, extravagant bathrooms near the entrance, Access- yes. accessible from the entrance. I feel like when you say near the entrance, it's like the shitter's right there when you walk in. What you really mean is like like from the entrance, you can quickly access a bathroom <laughs> um, that is of high quality, right? Like that's right. a good bookstore experience, right? right there did you like walden books um i don't i don't have a strong memory of walden books i know i've been there but i are they have like they used to have a chain of bookstores right yeah and like b dalton bookseller i think b dalton and walden got bought out by borders maybe that sounds right yeah whatever like barnes and noble and borders were like the other the like the two big bookstore chains yeah and but and i kind of felt like like all things in this country, they were reduced to this false dichotomy where like Barnes and Noble was kind of the conservative option and Borders was like the hip option. Yes. Yes. Right. Even though they were exactly, exactly. the same monolithic, right. horrific corporation. It was, it was sort of like a target target V Walmart. Like it's like, yeah, yeah. Walmart's like definitely like more like a bigger expansive, like, you know, set of shit, but like they're doing right. the same thing. Yeah. They're exactly selling the same goods. Thing. Right. Um, yeah, I remember, man, as a little kid, oh, there's another bookstore in the Twin Cities I would highly recommend, which is, um, the Red Balloon Bookstore, which is a children's bookstore. And they had some really great books when I was a kid and I used to love going there and it's like a a very unusual space inside the little nooks and crannies and beanbag chairs and things where you can sequester yourself away with book and... I always really enjoyed that bookstore. It's great for adults too. I mean, like anyone would of enjoy course. it. But yeah. they feature mostly Except for fun juvenile. haters. Yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> Except for fun haters. Fun haters keep out. Yeah. Not for you. Um <laughs> That's fun. I actually I I I just remembered I got to see this last year when I was in Germany. Um my friend Ryan took me to uh the Netherlands and we went to a town called Maastricht. Maastricht. Mm-hmm. M A A S T R I C H T. Um and in that city or town there is a 13th century Dominican church that's been converted into a bookstore. Oh. And um it's pretty cool because basically it's a it's kind of a cathedral style, you know, hugely tall ceiling with stained glass windows at the Ooh. up by the dais or whatever. What's the front of the church or the part of the church? The altar? The, the altar, yeah. Like behind the altar, you know, like that big kind of vaulted ceiling with the stained glass windows. Oh, yeah. I think that's like the nave and the like, um, the fuck, I can't remember the names of it. That's bad right. Catholic, bad Catholic. Yeah. Well, um, the re- not the rectory. That's the rectory. that is a thing in the Catholic Church. The rectory is where the the rectory is like the house, the apartment for the, the back of the house. The back of the like, isn't that where the priest kind of can live? Like the living quarters of the priest, or maybe yeah, I'm, it's like they're like it's where they like do their thing. Yeah, it's, it's the where, it's, it's like where the it's where the molestations can happen in private. <laughs> Too soon. Yeah. Uh, no, Too late. Never really. Too, soon. Too, late, Too late. Really. Way too late. Um. Yeah. The uh. The uh. Uh, what you call it? Um, 
Yeah, the place, like, there's behind the altar, and it's off to the side, and it's got, like, the communion plates and, like, a bunch of other stuff and, like, yeah. things, things well, behind. Anyway, so this 13th century Dominican church yes. um, was converted to a bookstore, and it's beautiful because in the main hall, there is this three-story sort of um, modern iron structure. So it's, like... Um, that's just like stacks of books that go up three stories. There's like steps and it's sort of like, um, like steel grating basically that's all been painted oh. black and a railing. And so you can go way up high in the church. And so you're kind of like in this artificial internal building that's just open to the air. Right. And so you can see really close to the stained glass windows and you can stand up really high in the church where no one really stood before because sure. there was no structure there. And yeah. then all these books are in the stacks up there. Um, on each level as you come in uh, or as each level as you go up on the floors um, and then down on the floor of the church is also like book stands and things like that and places to you know nice. kind of sit and read and stuff yeah it's very cool but nice. it occurs to me speaking of liminal spaces that um, bookstores are very much in the business of uh, they they pedal they're they're pedaling liminal spaces right because yeah. they're they provide a, a gateway liminal space to other liminal spaces they're like hey come right. find the liminal space you're looking for because right. I think a good read like is its own kind of fucking liminal space because you're just like in it right and you're going through a story that like transforms so like yeah. who you are when you start reading is not the same as you are when you finish reading right. and you follow the god i hate this word because it's been so overused and i just want to stab people in the eyeball <laughs> when they use it but like you go through the journey of the book with the book yeah and so you like are actually transformed by the experience of reading it right and so yeah i mean even going into a bookstore and get or a library and getting a book and coming back out again you've changed somehow you've gone through the portal and now you are going to put yourself into another container yeah. and experience another thing yeah. when you read that book it's so great yeah yeah that's a really great observation there's um speaking of which there's a really cool book mm -hmm. that is like stories inside of stories and sort of stories or liminalities inside of liminalities um, called The House of Leaves, which yeah. is like a really freaky, scary book. I feel like and I've it's heard of this. Maybe oh, you've wonderful. told me about it. I may have told you about it. We may have talked about it on the podcast. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's like a super trippy book. And the how you read the book yeah. is really interesting because how the words that you're supposed to read to follow the story are printed on the page changes throughout the books. So you have to kind of like move the book around as you read it. Um, and you have to go forward and backwards through the book. Uh -huh. And there's an entire section of the book dedicated to describing the type of architecture that a particular structure is not because <laughs> there is no name for the type of architecture that it is. How funny. And so they go through and they're like, it is not this type of architecture, this type uh -huh. of architecture, this type of architecture. And they list all the known types of architecture. That's so great. It is also meticulously referenced and footnoted, uh -huh. all with completely fabricated resources. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, it's very thorough. It's really yeah. cool. It's a really cool book. Also very scary. So oh, <laughs> read really? it in the daytime. <laughs> read it in the daytime. Got it. Yeah, it's terrifying. Yeah. Um, but that, that book is like liminalities within liminalities in and of itself, which you could buy at a bookstore, which would be another liminality. Right. Yeah. That would be really cool. Yeah. Um, I... I like going into a bookstore or a library when it's like light outside and coming out when it's dark. Uh-huh. Yes. 
it's like I like that more than doing that at a movie theater, and I do enjoy that at movie theaters. Yeah, yeah, that really feels transformative too. Like, when yeah, you're like oh, what time is it? I don't even know. Yeah, um, I was looking for lists of uh, good bookstores in the United States just so we can make some recommendations, and yeah. we've we've listed a number of them. For example, yeah. Powell's City of Books in Portland, right? Um, City Lights in San Francisco mm-hmm. is a very famous bookstore in north beach and um city lights was the place that published alan ginsburg's book howl oh yeah yeah and um they only carry count paperbacks mm-hmm. and they mostly focus on like poets and authors um that are unknown or unusual elsewhere yeah um, interesting yeah. Also found book people in Austin. Uh-huh. And um uh in Chicago there is Space Oddities, which I've never heard of. No. Um it's like a bookstore, but also they have like weird occult type items. There's, uh-huh. I think there's a place that's comparable in Minneapolis called Magus Books that's like stuff for Wicca and like of all kinds of different world religions and like new age stuff and they have herbal things you can buy and uh-huh. like alternative medicine and all kinds of stuff. Um, I have also heard of this bookstore before but I've never been there. Strand Books in New York City. Huge. I think I, think I went in there briefly the last time i was in new york they have between two and three million books available for purchase that's all just like in inventory sitting there yeah that's so awesome yeah um there is uh a bookstore in um massachusetts yeah that's made out of an old sawmill which uh-huh. seems kind of cool. Yeah. Um, William Faulkner uh-huh. has is the namesake of the Faulkner House bookstore in New Orleans. I think that's in the French Quarter. Oh, I might try to go there when I'm there this winter. Yes, yes. Faulkner House. Faulkner House. Um. Yeah, there's lots of books in lots of cool places that you should read. The, one of my big sad things in life is that there are a lot of books that I just will never ever read. Most of the books I will never read. I will never read most books that are out there. Right? Yeah, that is... Um, if all I did was read books for the rest of my life, it still wouldn't happen. Yeah. There's the, just so much. I think that's like one of the things that I think about... Um, I I th- I think that's one of the things I think about way too much and don't really talk about is like the amount of sort of other people's writings that I would like to have read. Mhm. Like Yeah. You know, there are um you know, I read dissertations from time to time. I read like people's various like research papers. Um, all of these things are like really 
like enriching, right? I mean, sometimes yeah. they're enraging. You're like, fuck this. This is some really stupid thinking. Um, sometimes <laughs> they're, sometimes they're amazing. Like, um, what was the, uh, what was the, uh, first science fiction we read? Um, uh, God damn it. Uh, well, we have the internet. I'm going to look it up real quick. Yeah. Look it up. Look it up and tell me. Um, we did a whole podcast on it and it's, I know I am a, I am a, I am a, I have no mouth and I'm a scream. Um, no, but that was also good. Um, it was the Greek, uh, um, oh. Uh, a true story space, by a Lucian. True story. Yeah, a true story by Lucian of um uh what was his name? His Samosata. Name, uh yeah, Lu- Lucian of Samosata. Yeah. 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 Um and you know, I'm like but there's like probably a whole bunch of fucking Greek literature that I'm never going to get a chance to get get to. Oh yeah. Some of it's super funny too. Yeah. Well, I mean, the concept of like the the first meninist literature, a true story where it's like <laughs> the men that like we don't need women because or we they don't need women because they um they can birth men on their calves. Right. Just pops right out. <laughs> right. Right out of my old leg. I, I love how like I love how like inconsistent like um sort of masculine uh ideologies are like where it's like well we don't need women but we're not gay right can't be gay yeah (laughs) so i love how it's like how they're like uh like you could invent anything Mm -hmm. but what you invented was just like a weird version of what women do which is give birth but just out of your calf (laughs) i mean i i like to imagine and probably this is pretty naive of me but i like to imagine that lucian was like not particularly sexist and he thought this was just kind of like poking fun at some of the like ridiculous greek shit that was going Mm -hmm. on like the other because all of that is like him making fun of these other stories right right um but i don't actually know him so probably he was just like every other fucking man um (laughs) i mean culturally like it's it's likely right like i mean that's been the trend of like you know world history since you know time immemorial is like men you know basically keeping women down so yeah like hashtag not all men and i'm like yeah hashtag but most men though (laughs) right yeah (laughs) but hashtag overwhelming majority right like you're missing the point if you're trying to defend against that (laughs) just just go learn about it it's fucked (laughs) a red flag is getting defensive Well, for sure, for sure, you're not going to fight the prejudice. Uh, like, it's not even prejudice. Like, for sure, you're not going to fight the, um, the like, you want to change history, then go fucking make new history. Right. And go, yeah. like, go don't kill your wife. Right. <laughs> like, don't worry about whether someone says all men or not. Like, just go don't kill your wife. Start there. Right. Just start there. Yeah. Start. It's not really doing so much, something so much as it's not doing what everybody else does. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's a uh, subtractive solution to this problem. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh. Yeah. I think. Uh. Speaking of. Speaking. We haven't been speaking about bees at all, but I think we saved a queen bee the other day. Oh, nice. Just made me think about how queen Wait, bees are so superior. What you meant is not speaking of. Not speaking of. Not speaking of bees. Yeah. Yeah. What you meant to say, Meg, let me tell you. Right. <laughs> Thanks. I'm so glad you're here. Yeah. Uh, 
So yeah, bookstores. I really like bookstores. I like independent bookstores. I mean, I've bought plenty of books off Amazon. Don't get me wrong. Oh like, yeah, I'm absolutely. not a saint, right. but um, I really, I usually look other places. So I'll go to like thriftbooks.com mm-hmm. and I'll go in person to the half price bookstore by my house. And if I can't find what I need there, then I'll go look on Amazon. I used to, um, there was a period of time where like a lot of the books I was into, I couldn't get on Amazon. So I was really yeah. into this author, um, Greg Egan. He, was a, he is a um, science fiction author, Australian science fiction author. I think he's actually a software developer by trade or works as software engineering in some way. Interesting. Um, but he writes these like very interesting novels that are very like, they're, they're very kind of like math and physics heavy. They're very like hard science fiction, right? So they're kind of yes. like, given this understanding of science, what if this thing, you know, or what if that thing? And then the, and then he writes these like interesting stories. And so I was very yeah. into his stuff. And his stuff was kind of out of print when I found it. Um, and I couldn't get a lot of the novels that I wanted on, um, I couldn't, I just couldn't get them on Amazon. And so I ended up having to go to um well, I mean, I often like try to like support other bookstores to begin with, yeah. but um, yeah, I had to like go to other sources and like some I'd bought off eBay from just like personal, you know, people just getting rid of them or whatever. And sure, um, th- these days he's, I think he got some more popularity and he's been reprinted. So, which is great because I, I think his stuff is pretty interesting. Yeah. But. Do you guys did the little free bookstore or little free library catch on out? They're ma- They're here everywhere in San Diego now. For better or for worse. Yeah, I actually saw quite a few of them in Germany. Um, I think the little free library idea is cute, but I'm like, libraries are always free. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, I it's, I mean, I understand it. I think like, um, I mean, it's just like a, it's just kind of a book, book exchange. I mean, there's these, these concepts have existed for years. So like if you go to Sailing Valley um, in, uh, in California, Mm-hmm. They have they they've had a fucking free library since the beginning of time or since the beginning yeah. of that like people going there like there's just a cabinet um, somewhere basically in the camp space where there people just leave books and take books and they've it's been that yeah. way for years and years way before the movement of the little free library and people putting them <laughs> in their neighborhoods which I think is cool like I like I think one of the reasons I like the idea of the free library is not because it's 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 awful and kitschy and shitty and usually the people who put them out there are terrible people um i don't actually mean that um i don't actually mean that i what i mean is like it may not like i may never take a book from them what i like is it encourages this sort of like alternative public facing um architecture on people's properties Mm -hmm. and i love that i love that it's like hey this is like it's it doesn't say get the fuck off my lawn it says hey come right. stand on my lawn for a second yeah and that yes. i love i love that yes um and i don't actually mean any of those things i said about the little libraries i i don't really have like much of an opinion about them i don't personally well um, I've, I've never found anything in one but i do look I've, and i do love that they're there i've met all of them and they're all terrible bitches <laughs> sure they're not though. I mean, not, I think I'll, I think like you, the thing that yeah. I appreciate most about the little free libraries is sort of like the tertiary aspects. Like yes. you're saying, like yeah. I like the creativity. Like, okay, what's yours gonna look like? I don't even really care about what books you put in there, right? Which is like uh, also interesting. But I yeah. really am more interested in like how you've chosen to interpret what a little free library is. 
Yes. Yeah. I love that. I love, um, I love that some of the ones here in my neighborhood are clearly like family endeavors, like kids have helped um, decorate them. There's like children's books in there. I love that I've seen people putting books in there and taking books out. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the idea of that. I certainly stop and look at the ones in my neighborhood when I'm walking by because I can't yeah. help but just be like, oh, what's going on in here? Right. Um, it's a tiny just, door. It's tiny a tiny doors door. really yeah, appeal to fantastic. me. Fantastic. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. I really like the the little designs. They're not commercialized. Of, right. Yet. Right. Yeah, you can't you can't just go buy a Target branded no. little free library. Um, I kind of two thoughts I have yes. in quick succession. Anytime I think about little free libraries, is why haven't l- other little free things like little free art gallery, little free whatever caught on? And then I'm like, why haven't I done these things? Yes. What's wrong with you? I know. I need to figure out, but like I figured that a little free art gallery would have mm-hmm. to be larger. And like more weatherproof than a little free library would be. Potentially. I think yeah. it just depends on what's in the art gallery. Fair. I mean, I think we've talked about this concept a little bit. Um, I feel like we had vending machine ideas at yes. one point. There yes. was an episode, like vending yes. machine episode. Cake vending machine. Yeah. Yes. Um, I think also, I think that if you were, for instance, uh, offering photographs in them, um, yeah, I mean, a little bit of weather, weatherproofing, but honestly, like paper books are are hardy, but also still susceptible to rain and temperature and other humidity issues. So sure, but maybe not as bad as like photo paper or like water. That's powder. true. That's true. I don't know. Yeah. I I, ha- I haven't gotten too far into this, obviously, right. or I'd have a, like a design on deck for you. Mm-hmm to critique um but yeah i just thought oh we should put out other little things that are like inviting and at my local coffee shop twigs um they mm-hmm. have uh there's somebody who writes free poetry and he rolls it up in little rolls um huh. like little scrolls and there's a box like at the front and they also have kind of a book exchange there as well um and then there's yeah. like right next to it is like free, free poetry it's pretty cool yeah that's yeah. cool i like that yeah I like anything that you can just like swap or not swap. Yeah. Yeah. I I love that kind of like um, that kind of free exchange, right? Mm -hmm. It's like Mm -hmm. you're not expected to leave something. It's like this is here for you. And if it appeals to you, you should have it. Yeah. Um, And if you have something that might appeal to somebody else, there's a good place to put it because people look here. Yeah. Yeah. So here's an interesting thing. I was looking at Borders because I I was like, whatever really actually happened to Borders. So like as of 2010, Borders operated 511 book superstores in the United States. I'm reading this from Wikipedia. Yeah. The, the company also operated 175 stores in Walden Books specialty retail segment, including Walden Books, Borders Express, Borders Airport, and Borders Outlet. <clears throat> and then in 2011, Borders filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. And there was like some private equity firm that wanted to buy them out, but they couldn't find a buyer acceptable to its creditors. And so they liquidated their retail outlets and they closed all their shit in September. And then they, Barnes and Noble acquired all of their trademarks and their customer lists. <laughs> Holy shit. So like Barnes and Noble basically became the monopoly. Yeah. That's really I, interesting. It's that that thing about like and their customer lists is yep. where it's like 
I just, I really struggle with that. Like, I think as like an individual, at least in the U.S., it's like I feel like we have so little power over our individuality. Yeah. Like I can't, I can't say to somebody, "This information is for you and non-transferable." Um, I, I mean, I can say it. Yeah. But it's not going to be honored. But also, like at this point in our lives, it's like that information is just being taken from us and moved around and sold. And like we bent and we benefit from it not at all. Right. Mostly it's like detrimental because mostly they're looking for, you know, people who are buying that information are looking for ways to prior mo- pry money from you. Sometimes yeah. they might believe that they're offering a good that you need and they think that this is like an efficient way of telling you about, you know, um, new goods and services that exist that you mm-hmm. might want. And for, you know, if you have enough money, that probably is true in some regards. Right. But most of the time it's not. Most of the time it's just like, you know, let me take that money, that, that little bit of money you have for this thing yeah. that promises to do something and it doesn't. Well, and when your data is getting traded like that, like when you yeah. are seen as an entity that is owned by Borders and when Borders liquidates, they liquidate you as part of the entity that is Borders and that liquidation gets handed over to like Barnes and Noble. You are the legal. Co- You are the commodity. Right. Like you're the thing being sold. Yeah. I when I saw small business like when I first learned about like how like a lot of small businesses get sold I was like man this is a really common practice because I I took um uh I thought I was gonna be a massage therapist while I was like when I had to drop out of school and I was like kind of Mm -hmm. waiting to go back to school and I thought I'll do this massage therapy program and then I'll be able to like earn money wherever I am while I'm doing it yeah and um I the school got sold basically right at the end of the year and I was like as I started to kind of like overhear and see like what was happening and like what was actually being sold, it was like the only thing that was being sold was essentially a client list. Yeah. Like, because they don't own the building. They're just renting this right. space. There's a lease that expires, which was part of the reason they were selling the schools. They couldn't afford the new lease. And like, so the money that they're getting is basically just like, here's a client list and you can rep your, represent yourself as the same person. But like all these people are going to know immediately because like there's only like, you know, three people who ran the actual business. Like there were like yeah. contracting, you know, massage therapists who taught some of the classes. Like it was just like, I get it. Like you're buying this framework for this business, but also at the same time, it's like the thing you're selling are just like these relationships with people and like, yes. how do they, they can't possibly hold up that well. Cause so many of these relationships are very like intimate social relationships. Right. How do you sell that? And, but it happens all the time. I know it's bizarre. Yeah. But well, if you have opinions about bookstores and liminal spaces, <laughs> we'd like to hear it. Um, uh, or buying and selling people, you know, buying, that too. Buying and selling people, yeah, exactly. Um, it's part of a corporate merger and liquidation, right? Chapter eleven bankruptcy protection buyout. God. Um. Anyway, <laughs> I used to shop at Borders, but now I'm now I've been um, forced into being a, on the rolls as a Barnes and Noble customer simply because a place I bought a book from in 2010 sold out, and now I can't stop getting mailers and junk mail from another corporate bookstore. Oh God, it's so it's so frustrating. I am very heartened to see that like the number of fucking bookstores has basically doubled in the last decade though. Yeah. Independent bookstores. Like assuming those random statistics I found on the internet are correct. Like yeah. that's pretty encouraging. Super I, you encouraging. Know, it was super funny. I remember 
back it's not funny it's haha we can laugh about it now um and back in the day <clears throat> there was a there was a bookstore in minneapolis called amazon booksellers uh-huh. and it was um les it was a lesbian bookstore oh hence amazon right yeah I mean, it was I a little weird and like I culturally remember you talking about shady this. yeah you know to call your bookstore amazon after what is like i think basically a stereotype anyway um (laughs) white lesbians from minneapolis opened a bookstore called amazon (laughs) right right and they got into a big lawsuit with amazon.com oh shit well of course they did i mean i'm sure they didn't initiate it but or did they initiate it well i think they may have i don't remember I mean, at that point, maybe you have to because it's like you need to assert that you've been around and that's your name. Yeah, right. Anyway. And they had been around for a while. And so they sued and I think lost. Yeah. I mean, how can you um, can't when money is what buys right? What can you do? Yeah. So it was it was. Well, that says I can't go there. Amazon Bookstore Cooperative was a feminist bookstore located in Minneapolis, Minnesota that operated from 1970 to 2012. Wow. It it was the first lesbian feminist bookstore in the United States. Wow. That's cool. The shop was named after the Amazons, a mythical tribe of fierce and independent women, which to me just sounds like a strange like yeah. cultural appropriation. Yeah. Um so yeah, there were these two women who started it and then um like it's uh, this is hilarious because how Amazon how, I'm reading off of Wikipedia here to like in the to get the back story like in it's funny because they're talking about a neighborhood that i'm familiar with in minneapolis right in 1970 amazon was founded by these two women and the books were kept in the front room of a women's collective that they lived in and the books were only available from 3 to 6 p.m or by special arrangement and then the bookstore moved to the minneapolis lesbian resource center and then a bunch of different storefront addresses and working conditions were sometimes difficult in an unsafe neighborhood in a building where no heat pipes were no heat and where pipes froze and people had to wear gloves inside the store. This was like in a neighborhood in like the bookstore was eventually located in Loring Park, which was like yeah. a neighborhood where like uh, when it was still not accept socially acceptable and people had to be closeted about being gay, they would like cruise Loring Park. Oh, right. And so people would get like beat up there all of the time because people were like, if you were in Loring Park, it was like questionable whether or not you might be cruising. And then people would go there who were probably closeted themselves and angry about it and would like beat up other people that they thought were gay. And so that was always happening in this park. And this, it's just funny because now some of the most expensive real estate uh-huh. is like right around yeah. that fucking park. Right. Um, and, and let's see. Amazon became the oldest independent feminist bookstore in North America. It was probably the oldest in the English speaking world and it had an impact that extended beyond its immediate area and beyond the United States. It has a presence in popular culture. Uh Alison Bechtel was inspired to create the fictional mad women books in dykes to watch out for based on experiences at this store. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I feel like I should read more like lesbian feminist literature um, for because i think we talk about it a lot and i think yeah, maybe i'm like lacking that that sort of like context maybe a little bit um so yeah D- dykes to watch out for is a good book all right 
It's a com- it's like a well, it's not a book. You can get it in a book now. It was a comic strip, but you can get it aggregated. Yeah, into a book, I like so. when I when I first learned about like the Bechtel test, like I that was immediately like I was like, oh, she wrote these comic like these comic strips, and so I've I've read some of them. Like I'm familiar familiar with the work, but I'm not like familiar with the body of work, if that makes sense. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yours, yours. Um, yeah, she has a uh, Allison Bechtel has like. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve uh, collections of her comic strip. And like you can get the original Dykes to watch out for. And then there's more Dykes to watch out for. And new and improved Dykes to watch out for. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Hot throbbing Dykes to watch out for. Split for, level. For real? Split level. Yeah. That is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there's all kinds of anthologies. Um, so that would that would be a good place to start. I don't know. Cool. Um, what time is it? Let's it's see. Uh, well, it's been fifty-one minutes. Um, so and fifty-four seconds, fifty-five, fifty-six. <laughs> Wait, just stop. How many seconds is it? One hundred one. Um, one hundred one. Um, yeah. Well, I think we've been doing great. Uh, we do have podcasts to publish. Um, we do. Yeah. So maybe what we could do is. Do you want to try and like connect tomorrow and just do like a like a publishing round? Yes. Okay, because I think that worked for me. I could try and um, do that in my lunch hour. Cool. So everyone listening, just keep in mind that um, this is how this podcast works: is that right? Meg and I keep trying to record content, and then we help each other make sure that it gets published so that you guys can listen to it. Um, right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, seriously, like if you have any interest or questions, like we would love to hear from you and we really appreciate you listening. Um, Send us a voicemail or an email. Yeah. Or a carrier pigeon. Yeah, a carrier pigeon, whatever. Um, That email is uh, Dana, D-A-N-A at FCBM.io. And Dana would be delighted to hear from you as well because I know that she is a big fan Mm -hmm. of this podcast. It's like Mm -hmm. one of her favorite creations. And so um, the fact that it's still going... After all these years, I mean, we probably have like a anniversary coming up, or a yeah, I'm sure we do. Well, we pro- I think we just like I mean, no, we probably we blazed past several, up, but we, yeah, right. It's coming up because we started around the holidays. Well, we our first episodes published in December. I think we started yeah. December 2019. No, yep. was it after? It yes, was like the it fall was December of 2019. 2019. Yeah, follow 2019. And then um, because Corona didn't start till April. So we had quite a few months before. Uh, well, no, it was March because remember, we went to the Dan Deacon show oh, that's on, right. the, yeah, on, the, on yep. the 11th of March, which was the day that they shut down right, right. everything. Right. So we had a couple of months right in right. there where yeah. we thought this is going to be great. We're going to like hang out together all the time. Yep. Do this thing. And then <laughs> yeah. it's going to be smooth sailing from here on out. Uh-huh. We've made it. We've made it. We yes. have arrived. Everything is yeah. falling into place. Yeah. Actually, when we do um, when we do the War on Christmas episode, um, which, as yeah. is tradition, that's when we'll yes. know we've, we've gotten to year four. Fuck. Four? Yeah. 19, 20, 21, 22. Yeah. So that'll be fun. Woo. Woo. Uh, okay. That's all I, think- I got. Yeah, I think that's it. I got to go make my fourth hot chocolate of the day. All right. I might actually go sit in the bathtub and pull out a book that I've got sitting on my bedside now that we've been talking about books. 
Aha, I got this. Um, I got this book called. It's it's actually a game. It's a role playing game called Blades in the Dark. Okay. Um, and uh, that sounds fun. Yeah. Is it violent? Um, yeah. So, uh, Blades in the Dark is a tabletop. I'm some kind of cribbing from Wikipedia article entry. Uh, Blades in the Dark from October 24th at about five or four four p.m. Um, so Blades in the Dark is a tabletop fantasy role-playing game by John Harper set in a fictional city of uh, Duskfall. It's inspired by sort of Victorian London and Gothic fiction. Mm. Um, and the game was crowdfunded on Kickstarter in 2015. Raised $179,000 by roughly 4,000 backers, which is pretty cool. Um, and so it was published, officially published in 2017. So Blades in the Dark is if you're familiar with role-playing games, it is a kind of tabletop role-playing game where um, it's a pen and paper or pencil and paper kind of game. Pen, pencil, uh-huh. um, thing what marks on paper and uh, thing what yeah 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 and paper um, <laughs> and uh, pencils. <laughs> pencils are usually useful because you're oftentimes like adjusting and, and making changes to values and things. But uh-huh. um, uh, it's so essentially the it's this. Um, it has the reason I bought this book to read it was that it has very interesting lore as I'm given to understand. And it's, um, it has a kind of interesting gameplay mechanic that people are very excited about and have given good reviews. Hmm. Um, and so I play pretty regular. I play Dungeons and Dragons pretty regularly with a group of friends that I've known since high school. And, um, although I've not played with them since high school, it's just recently we've kind of in the last like six years reconnected. Yeah. Um, more than that, actually, maybe almost ten years now. Um, anyway, irrelevant. The point is, is that I got the book because I oftentimes um, we only they only like to play Dungeons and Dragons, which is a bummer to me because there's so many cool other games to play. Sure, yeah, but, and different themes um, and yeah. But when I get opportunity, like we kind of take turns playing the game master or the dungeon master, depending on what system you're using, and. Um, when it's my turn, um, I often try to incorporate ideas from other systems so that we can kind of explore new gameplay mechanics because I, I find the Dungeons and Dragons gameplay mechanics to be sort of tedious and pretty fucking lackluster in imagination. Um, they're what? very much... Dare I ask why? Um, I think I think because... Oh, yeah. No, I mean, it's um, like... I find the mechanics to be, uh, they're very like, like, how do I put this? Like they're kind of like the original. So I've played, I played Dungeons and Dragons for a long time since, since the, the very earliest editions, um, not the very earliest editions. I was not quite alive. Um, but I started playing heavily with, um, the, when the Dungeons and Dragons sort of quote first edition and, um, advanced Dungeons and Dragons editions were kind of, or there was basic and advanced editions. They're not first and second or anything. It's a weird time, but anyway, yeah, I started they're, playing when those like were con- around. Conti- they're conti- not contiguous. They're simultaneous. Yeah, and so like basic had its rule sets and advanced had its rule sets, and they both kind of had their own worlds and all these things sure. kind of going on and different adventures and stuff. And so I played during that era. Um, into the transition into second edition and many people talk about second edition being the downfall of um tsr which was the tabletop what does tsr stand for um 
<laughs> it, there's a law firm called TSR in yeah. Minneapolis. Uh, TSR stood for... Um, so that's all I can think of. Uh, tactical studies rules. So <laughs> TSR was like this kind of like the self-publishing thing that the Gary Gyax and... Um, uh, oh, fuck, what was his name? Um, <laughs> uh, there were a couple of people... Um, Don K, I think they kind of formed this. There was um, there was also another guy named Dave Arneson. There were these people got together. They were like, we love this game that we've come up with. It's based on these like other tabletop combat systems called Chainmail. And they anyway, none of that really matters to answer your question. My point is just <laughs> what happened was um, I started playing at this like early stage where the rules had become commercial. Like they were no longer like literally like home printed pamphlets, but they'd like printed on hardback, you know, they're printing hardbacks. And so we had these rules and, um, and also paperbacks, but they were like high gloss manuals and things like pretty fucking cool for the eighties sure. um, or high gloss covers. They were not for sure. They were still kind of almost, <laughs> they weren't quite newsprint, but anyway, um, yeah. uh, these books um, had rules that were quite complex and rich and dealt with like very specific things. Um, you know, these manuals are like massive tomes of information and they have yeah. like all these kind of complex scenarios and, and a lot of them are left, left open-ended, right? Like the way the game is written is the idea is it's like, here's some guides. Um, here's how we play it traditionally. But if you want to like forge off in a new direction of like activity, you know, here's some thoughts on that, but good luck. Um, and then lots of people talk about second edition kind of being the downfall of that because what happened is they started publishing um, books and rule sets for just like all kinds of stuff until it became this like super massive collection of books that you you could Ugh. potentially own to play. Now, you don't actually need all of these books to play. They just, and but that makes sense for a company, right? That's like how you make your money is you kind sure. of like keep re broadly releasing. Appeal. Yeah, broadly appeal. And you also kind of release like more product that people want to buy. Um, I didn't, I, I kind of liked that from my point of view. I was like, it's cool because like, you know, not everybody has the same books. That doesn't matter. Like when we sit down to play, like we're all in agreement about like the liminal space that we're going to create and this is how we're going to do it and let's go for it. And the fact yeah. that there's like, more rich interesting information you can be buying and playing with i thought was really cool um anyway so fast forward to fifth edition all of these rules have been like reworked restreamlined but i don't ever feel like any of these things make these like um they never seem to get out of the like the mud from my point of view it's like mm -hmm. they're they're all still kind of like steeped in um in complication, which I think is what the appeal of Dungeons and Dragons is for people. People sure. like to spend for every hour of gameplay, they like to spend like four hours reading a book about it. Like <laughs> that's I, just the way they want to roll. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where I think fifth edition kind of falls apart because I think in fifth edition it's like they're kind of realizing that's true because they've started to release like all this new material that's mm -hmm. like reworking of the rules or retelling or advanced new rules and things like that. And from my point of view, like that, that kind of, um, it doesn't, it doesn't like to me, like it doesn't, it's, 
it's very Dungeons and Dragons is like very combat focused and basically what it it really incentivizes and it's hard to get away from this and lots of people talk about this um, people who are more familiar with the material than I am and are probably more more thoughtful about it but generally there's this idea of like murder hoboism which is the idea that any character you play is essentially incentivized to be a homeless murderer which is to say you just go around this this make-believe world and kill shit to get rewarded uh -huh. and there's no reason to stay anywhere and build a life because that's right. not a fun role play experience and so you're constantly right. just like it doesn't matter that i have a home or a place to live all that matters is like the next thing I'm killing. Um, that's basically how I play the Sims. And that's fair. Yeah. And I think that <laughs> like, and I think it's a perfectly fun experience. Like this last weekend, um, I ran the, the Halloween special episode for our group and, you know, we did like a, like kind of a one-off adventure and it was mostly revolved around, you know, fighting undead monsters, right? Like it's just, you know, it doesn't matter where their characters lived or are going to. What mattered is like right now they're murdering, you know, undead. Well, I don't argue, right. arguably maybe not murder, but you get my point. Yes. Um, so uh, murder hobo. I love murder hobo. I just love yeah. the, I love that phrase. Right. It's yeah. No, I mean, it's it's very it's funny. It's um it's true, which is great. Like it's, you know, based in this truth about how the system works. Right. Um, and so for me, it's like I, I just feel like um, it doesn't I don't feel like it balances a good it doesn't create an environment where it's easy for people to um, express themselves however they want. Like I have one player who often comes up with these great, really great, like out of the box ideas. And I often like allow it to happen. Um, but sometimes I kind of have to say no, cause I'm like, it just doesn't, um, it, it breaks rules in a way that makes it very hard to like then lean on those rules later in the game. Oh. And so, but one of the things that appealed to me about Blades in the Dark, and I haven't actually gotten to this part yet, but my understanding is that there is this mechanism where, um, as it was explained to me, and I may be butchering it, so please, if you're listening right now and you're a fan of this, I would love to get an email from you about setting this straight, um, or hopefully I'll do a correction if I get a chance to read it later. But the mechanic is basically the idea is like you can um, – you can create what's called like a flashback. So like, let's say you're in, you're in the role playing environment, like you're sitting at the mm -hmm. table and you know, I'm saying I'm like, if I'm the DM or I'm the dungeon master or the game master, I'm saying like, yep. okay, like, you know, your party, you are, you know, now find yourself standing in front of a locked door. Um, the character, the players can like spend points, I guess, or somehow initiate what's called like a flashback or something like that, where they can then tell a story about how they pre-prepped for this in engagement. And so they have this tool, like maybe they have the key or they have, um, you know, like a, a big log to smash down the door or whatever. Uh -huh. And they can tell a story being like, yeah, the day before, I knew that we were going to come across a locked door. And so I was really, I made sure to bring my set of skeleton keys so that I might have a chance to unlock the door. And uh -huh. so then, then that gives them an opportunity to come up with a creative like story element. And then as the game master, my job would be to help fit that into the story. But sure. it also isn't like so game breaking because then there are rules about like how to apply, 
the the game or the chance elements right like oftentimes mm-hmm. we use dice to be like okay but now let's roll dice to see what happened like did you actually succeed in getting the right keys or perhaps they open the door but it turns out like some other negative effect happens or something mm-hmm. or or it's like yeah they open the door but there's a consequence to the fact that they had to collect those keys which is like now the keys are missing and there's an alarm going off in the castle or something yeah 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 so um and so that like I like that and it's hard to have that kind of experience in Dungeons and Dragons where I, th- I find it hard for um, at least the group I play with and I've played with a few other groups and I find this kind of generally like either you stick to rules as written or you kind of start to go off the path and it's really hard to kind of like bridge that balance like well. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that there are better rule systems out there or better ideas and I just find it I just find it kind of very rigid and flexible. Um in ways yeah. and, and that's fine I mean I still really enjoy playing it um, but it's, I wonder if it's like I wonder if it's rigid and inflexible in so far as like I don't know like if I was designing a game for other people to play I might make it at least at first rigid and inflexible otherwise there wouldn't be enough of a game for people to hang on to like, agreed yeah like because uh, I would think like oh well if you didn't need all of these like specifics and rules, you would have just thought of a game on your own. Right, right. No, I don't disagree with you. I think, um, I think maybe rigid and inflexible is not what I'm thinking of. I think what I mean is like, um, it's, I think some of the rules become burdens. Like the combat scenario, I find mm-hmm. combat is very, it's turn-based, um, and so that means there's a lot of like waiting for one person to yeah. do a thing. Um, well, it has to occur in a linear fashion when in yeah. fact that's not how these things actually unfold. Right. And so um, I think that that I think that can be sometimes like depending on the elements of the combat and like what sort of elements are being brought into play, like especially like magic use and things like that, it can get really complex to resolve things, which is okay like i'm not saying Mm -hmm. i have some like magic solution to this where it's like well why don't you just do this but um i do find sometimes that that can that that can with take away from the liminal space when you're kind of spending a lot of time um working out mechanics and keeping track of stuff and i think a lot of cool things get lost because they require too many of people in the in the experience to like all keep track of this information yeah because like some of these spells are like you know three days later this thing happens and it's like well in game time it's like that might be like six months from now you know it's kind of like you almost need like an extra ring of people who play but don't have like an active role in the game and all they're they're like they're just the logisticians like their whole thing is just like (laughs) keeping track of the details and the scenery right right yeah. And, you know, and, and this is kind of the nature of um, creating a liminal space that's like really all in the theater of the mind. Right. Right. Um, and that's and that's also a part of the fun. And I think that's why people like to play Dungeons and Dragons is it, it exercises a lot of your mental facilities mm-hmm. and allows you to like, like create this own reality for yourself and like really enjoy that. So, yeah, yeah. that's cool. Yeah, it is. It's very cool. Well, you'll have to tell me how this game is because I yes. It sounds interesting. What's it called again? Blades Blade, in the Dark? Blades in the Dark, yeah. Blades in the Dark. I like that. Yeah. Well, maybe we can play sometime. Um, I'm going to like go through it. And I think it, I, the other thing that appeals to me is I think it, uh, I think it lends itself to like very short sessions of, or 
like not extended multiple session gameplay. Like you can play <clears throat> over many sessions, but you can also just play mm -hmm. like in an evening. Yeah. Um, I think games are still four or five hours easily, but um, that's yeah. so cool though. Yeah, it is. It's very cool. Very fun. Yeah. Well, that's great. Go read that in the bathtub. Okay. I will do. All right. <laughs> well, uh, I'm Ned and this is Meg. And again, thank you everybody for listening to our podcast. Uh, this has been feature creep colon built in microwave. Semicolon something about books. Something about books. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. All right. Bye. Bye.